0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West podcast.
0: Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode. We're happy to be with you, as always.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's the end of the summer here.
1: Yeah. Just getting ready to get back into the school year. We homeschool um, our children. Or but have... there are only two left. Isn't that interesting? Yeah.
0: I, I mean, two left to be homeschooled, I'm... not two left, like the others have died.
1: But... <laughs> I'm the main homeschooler planner of the both the, the year-long plan and the daily plans for the kids. And this is the first time in a very long time since our oldest were little that I've had only two students wow. to teach. How that feel? Um, it's exciting. I, I actually like teaching, um, doing homeschool. I I like the rhythm of our days in our homeschool year. And I've been, we actually haven't started yet at the time of this recording, but I have gotten out the planners and started working out what we're doing. Um, and it's fun. And the kids, I mean, not every day is wonderful, but in for the most part, they're They have a good attitude about it, and we enjoy it.
0: You are a great homeschooling mom, Wendy. Oh, thank you. I know there have been struggles over the years. Mm -hmm. I'm remembering when five would have been homeschooled and you couldn't do it. No. And we sent a couple off to public school, (laughs) sent them on the school bus, and went through all that stuff. Yeah. But you have been such a blessing to our kiddos. Is there anything you're particularly excited about in this coming Fall semester? Do you call them semesters? I don't even know. What do you? <laughs> That's just college life, right? You don't call it a semester, do you? Well, no, not
1: and not for the most part. No, it's just a school year. What are you
0: looking forward to? Are you going to be reading any fun books with the kids?
1: Uh, we're, I always like literature, so that's exciting to do. And uh, our seventh grader is going to be reading uh, line, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe mm-hmm. and um, Anne of Green Gables, which are two wonderful books. So I look forward to that. Um, it's actually, I, I like it because of the connection that I, you know, I get to know my kids better. And it kind of, it's a beautiful way to expose them to different people and their stories and their kind of struggles through the characters and literature. Plus there's lots of history in a lot of um, literature. So that's it's just makes learning not feel like learning. It makes it like just sharing something pleasant together. And I love I love that.
0: We just got back a few days ago from launching number three off to college. Yeah. We have two already out in the workforce right. in their twenties and we just launched our eighteen year old into her freshman year of college. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> means we're getting old. And this one, Beth is at a school that's only two hours away, which is new for us because our other two went to schools out of state and we wouldn't see them maybe until Thanksgiving or Christmas. Right. And the fact that she's able to come home weekends when she wants to and stuff, that's very fun.
1: Yeah, we're, we're happy about that.
0: So prayers and blessings on everybody out there who's just about to launch into a new school year or maybe you already have. It can be a hectic time in family life especially for homeschooling families. Please know we are in solidarity with you. We love you. Mm. Be not afraid. Lord, take care of us. You know our needs.
1: Mm. Amen. Amen. What updates do you have from the Institute?
0: We just launched the final episode in a series that Bill Dunahy taught for our patron community, Mm -hmm. uh, helping parents to pass Theology of the Body on to their teenagers. And I'm very excited about that. Bill is great doing this kind of thing, very insightful, very—the um, way he teaches, I mean, it's kind of our, our whole ethos at the Institute is to teach from beauty, um, certainly not just from rules. Christianity is not a religion of laws, it's a religion of longing, and it's beauty that awakens that, that longing. Mm-hmm. So Bill did this great series for parents and teenagers— on how to pass Theology of the Body on. You can learn more. We just released the last episode. As I said, you can learn more. Click the link to become part of our patron community. And your support for this work that we do at the Theology of the Body Institute, that monthly uh, contribution that you provide, it goes so far in, in enabling us to fulfill our mission. If you've been blessed by what we do, and maybe you're feeling a little Holy Spirit nudge to become part of our patron community, Uh, We not only want to receive the blessing of your financial support, we want to shower you with blessings, with resources, with ongoing formation. There's a whole library of talks you can get. There's study series, uh, including the series for parents and teens that I was just talking about. There um, are these little, uh, I call them my, my video journal videos. We have a library of those, just kind of meditations I film on my iPhone and We offer them to the patrons. So learn more by clicking the link. We also have some courses coming up. We have a Theology of the Body Level 1 online. Check out the link for that. And if you've already taken Level 1, we're going to be offering Theology of the Body Level 2 in person at the end of October into the first week of November here in Pennsylvania. So check out the link to learn more about those courses.
1: You ready for our first question? Yes,
0: let's go for it.
1: From a patron. This is from Father Vaughn.
0: Hello, Father Vaughn. Thank you for your monthly support of our work. So grateful to you.
1: Father Vaughn says, This year's readings bring us into the Bread of Life discourse, culminating in conjunction with Ephesians 5, the Great Mystery. Oh, yeah. This year, however, the readings are broken up with the Assumption of Mary. I'm doing teachings on the Eucharist, and plan to bring up the marital component with Ephesians whoop, 5.
0: Whoop, whoop, whoop Go, Father Vaughn. Go, whoop. Father Vaughn. You can do it. What are your
1: insights on tying in TOV, the Eucharist, and the Assumption of Mary?
0: Wow. Uh, you just gave me a doctoral dissertation topic there. <laughs> Although I, I already been there, done that, so I don't need another dissertation. But, it, I mean, you could spend a lot of time mm. unfolding the connections. Here is just... the the crux of the matter. Mm -hmm. Our bodies matter to our faith. That's the bottom line when we're talking about our faith. The source and summit of everything is the body of Christ given up for us. And what we see in Ephesians 5 that Father is referencing here, and uh, this this came up in the cycle of readings uh, two Sundays ago now, Ephesians 5, And in that, we have the linking of the union of man and woman from the book of Genesis. St. Paul quotes right from there, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two will become one flesh. And then he says, This is a great mystery, and it refers to Christ and the Church. Mm. What we have there, what we're realizing there, what we're discovering there, is that right from the beginning— Right in the book of Genesis, in our creation as male and female, and the call of the two to become one flesh or one body, we have a prophecy, a foreshadowing, uh, a proclamation right from the start of the mystery of the Incarnation and the mystery of the Eucharist, right? We have have the proclamation of the ultimate marriage. St. Augustine says the ultimate marriage is is the marriage of the divine and the human natures in the person of Christ. And the bridal chamber where that marriage is consummated is the womb of the Blessed Virgin. woo hoo There we have the consummate moment of the marriage between heaven and earth. Mm. And yet, I mean, we can say, yes, it's consummated there, but it's it's... Can I say it this way? It's it's a preliminary consummation. It's a real consummation because the human and divine natures came together in a marriage, right in the very person of Christ, in the womb of Mary. But the real consummation, this is how we link it then with the assumption, mm-hmm. because the real consummation this is, is in the assumption of Mary. She's the bride. She's the church. She's the, the church in person. And I like to imagine... The, the assumption of Mary is kind of the bride walking down the aisle, or shall we say, up the aisle, <laughs> right? The bride walking up the aisle to meet the bridegroom. That's how mm-hmm. I pictured the assumption, and many saints have as well. And then we have the crowning of Mary, which also is a nuptial symbolism. We see this very vividly in the Eastern Church, where at the nuptial liturgy, the bridegroom and the bride are crowned, mm-hmm. right? So what's happening In the Assumption of Mary, the bride is entering into the bridal chamber of heaven. She's being crowned next to the bridegroom, and the union is forever consummated. So preliminary consummation in the womb of Mary, we could say ultimate consummation in the Assumption and Crowning of Mary, and we expect—this is our hope, this is our faith— We have every expectation. As we say yes to grace, this is our destiny. We will be brought into the marriage of the Lamb. So connecting it all, spousal mystery of Ephesians 5, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery. And it refers to Christ and the church. That from the beginning is the foreshadowing of the incarnation, the giving of Christ's body to us in the Eucharist. Where does the church become one flesh with Christ? We become one flesh with Christ in holy communion, when the bridegroom says to the bride, this is my body given for you. Those disciples gathered there at the Last Supper when Christ said, this is my body given for you. They knew that was nuptial language. Uh, the Last Supper discourse and the, the, what the words that Jesus prays at the Last Supper are, are based on the Jewish understanding of a wedding. Just one example, I could point to many, but when Jesus says, I go away to prepare a place for you, right? I think that's part of the Last Supper discourse. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not, it still works. Um, I'm pretty sure it is, though. Uh, When Jesus says, I go away to prepare a place for you, the Jews understood that as uh, the bridegroom in the Jewish wedding ceremony. uh, They would be betrothed, there would be a, a betrothal ceremony, they're truly married, but they don't live together yet, because the bridegroom goes away to prepare a place for the bride. And he says, I'll come to get you. I'll come to bring you to my father's house. That's all part of the Jewish understanding of marriage. Mm. Well, this is what is happening in the Paschal mystery uh, and in the ascension of Jesus. He's going away to prepare a place for the bride, and he'll come to get the bride. Mary's assumption is that coming to get the bride, and we await the same. The whole church will go the way that Mary went in her assumption. So spousal mystery... Eucharist, Assumption of Mary, there's my five or seven-minute response. (laughs) That could be and should be a doctoral dissertation.
1: I love that phrase, we await the same.
0: Yes, glory!
1: From all of that, I think when I look at life, daily life, daily struggles, daily tasks and disappointments or communications or miscommunications and all the rest— that we await the same is such a hopeful joyful life-giving phrase that we are looking forward and and the struggles we have are all pointing to the fact that we're not there yet but if we can look forward to it it can lift the burdens that we may feel now encourage us instead of being discouraged that there is a reason that we're longing for more because we're awaiting what Mary has experienced.
0: Listen to this from the Magnificat. This is on the Feast of the Assumption. This is the prayer that we call the Collect. It says, Almighty ever-living God, who assumed the Immaculate Virgin Mary, the mother of your Son, body and soul into heavenly glory, grant, we pray, that always attentive to the things that are above We may merit to be sharers of her glory through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. That is a bodily glory. This is our destiny. Where Mary has gone, we will go as well. So long as we say yes, as Mary said yes, this is the promise. Where her body went, ours will follow. And really, Mary's is just following the body, in, uh, the body of Christ. Mary's body, assumed into heaven, is really a following of Christ's body ascended into heaven. And here, I'll just point this out, the distinction in the ascension of Christ and the assumption of Mary. Mm-hmm. The ascension of Christ means He's a divine person and He ascends of His own power. Mm-hmm. The assumption of Mary recognizes she's a human person and has no power of her own to ascend to heaven but Christ grants the bride, the church, personified in Mary, Christ grants her a participation in his victory. So that's what we mean by saying Christ ascended, Mary was assumed. It's the distinction between the divine and the human. Uh, Another fun little um, insight here is we can say very important, these distinctions in theology, but they're fun just to say it because of the Kind of interesting juxtaposition of words here. Christ is a divine person who's been humanized. Mary is a human person who's been divinized. So enter into that. That's deep. Christ is a divine person who's been humanized. Mary is a human person who's been divinized. Wow. That's our destiny to be divinized. Is Mary divine? No. But she has been divinized. What Christ is by nature, Mary is by grace. Rejoice you who are continually being filled with grace. That's what the scripture is, by the way. Hail full of graces. It's pretty truncated um, interpretation. It's rather rejoice you who are being continually filled with God's grace. Mm-hmm. That's our hope as well.
1: Our next question is from a listener named Julia.
0: Hello, Julia.
1: Hi, Christopher and Wendy. Recently, my husband and I found out at my 20 week ultrasound that our son has a deformity incompatible with life. I will be carrying him however long he survives in the womb or until my due date, and he will die shortly after. We are devastated as this was our first child, mm. and the pregnancy up to this point was perfectly normal. Mm. I sometimes feel that we'll never find true joy again in life when such a sorrowful thing is happening to our family. Any advice at all that can help us get through this time would be appreciated.
0: Wow. Wow. Bless you, Julia. Bless your husband. Bless that precious, precious life in your womb. Mm-hmm. I, I, First, I just want to show reverence to what you're suffering there's, there's nothing that can be said or should be said to try to remove that suffering. It's a suffering that the Lord has allowed in your life, and it would be, in a, in a real way, it would be inhuman not to allow yourself to experience that suffering. And something I learned from my professor and mentor, Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete, that we really do a disservice to people who are suffering— to try to give answers or explanations or in any way skirt the real bitterness of suffering. So I just want to show reverence to that. And the suffering is so bitter, the suffering is so deep that you, as you said, you can scarcely imagine ever having joy again in your life. Now, I would I would venture to say that intellectually, you know that that's not true. There will be joys to come. This is His promise. This is God's promise, that He will bring joys even out of our darkest sufferings. This is our hope. This is the promise of the gospel. Not that Christ erases our sufferings, not that He takes them away in this life, but sufferings themselves can be and will be transformed into glory my invitation to you, Julia, would be to hang everything on that promise. Base your whole life on that promise. Uh, in the midst of the agony of the suffering to—it's an expression I just use for myself—to plant your flag of faith, uh, if that expression is helpful. And by that, I, I mean to take a stand— to make a choice, uh, not at all to skirt or erase your sufferings, but in the suffering to plant that flag and say, I believe in your promise, Lord, that this suffering can and will be transformed into glory. I believe in your promise, Lord, that you have already borne this suffering that my husband and I are experiencing, and you've brought it through the tomb and transformed the tomb of suffering and death into a life-giving womb. And, and here I want to comment on, and this, is, this goes very deep in the theological tradition, the connection between the tomb and the womb. Your womb right now is a place of, of, of life. There is a new life in your womb, but you've also been given this diagnosis that your womb is going to become a place, most likely, where your child dies. And in some way, the womb here becomes a tomb. But here's the good news of the gospel. This is what we base everything in our faith upon. St. Paul says, if the resurrection is not real, then our faith is in vain. We have nothing to base our faith on. Our faith, Christian faith, is faith in the resurrection of the body. That's what our Christian faith is, and we could express it this way. Our faith is faith that the tomb has been transformed by Jesus Christ into a womb. In other words, the place of death has been transformed again into a place of life. You are entering, or I would say, Julia, you and your husband are being invited to enter into the very crux, and I use that word with, with import, with significance. Crux comes from crucifixion, right? You are, you are being invited into the crux, into the cross of Jesus Christ, in this sorrow, in this suffering, in this loss, in this death, you're also being invited in and through that death to the fulfillment of the promise of new life that death is transformed into life that the tomb is transformed into a womb this is the promise of Christ and my prayer for you Julia is that your faith which you already express will go deeper that this will be a lived experience in your life of the power of of the Paschal mystery of death and resurrection. And Paschal here means passing over, right? Why did Christ endure the cross? It tells us in the book of Hebrews, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. My prayer for you, Julia, for your husband, will be that the Lord will give you a real window into that joy that awaits you. And maybe we can paint a picture this child you have conceived, this child you are carrying right now, is destined for eternal life. Right? Life in the womb is just the the foreshadowing of, of the life of regeneration. right? This is our destiny. We, we must be regenerated, born again to enter the kingdom. and And this child of yours is destined to be regenerated and to enter everlasting life. When we look from the eternal perspective, this life is a snap of the fingers, and it's gone. Here today, gone tomorrow, Lord, teach us to number our days. Julia, you and your husband are being invited, I believe, to set your sights on eternal life as your true fulfillment, and on the reunion you will have with this life that was conceived from your womb. You will rejoice forever this is his promise. You will rejoice forever with this child that has come into the world through the love of you and your husband. Wendy, what are, what are your thoughts?
1: You know, my parents went through this, a very similar thing with their first pregnancy. Their very first child died in the womb, and um, they didn't have the 20-week ultrasound. This was back in uh, 1967, but They did know that the baby had died and had to wait until labor started to deliver the baby. And they, um, so I feel a connection to this couple, even though I myself haven't experienced it, just thinking about my own family's story. My parents went on to have four other children. But as I think about that experience, um, that you're in right now, I, I think about just the challenge of living each day you know of of waiting for it all to take place you know to get this news and and you really have to just be surrendered there's there's not a course of action that you need to take other than prayer and closeness to one another as a couple supporting one another through this time the the scripture that just was coming to my mind thinking about your baby is the Lord saying at creation, behold, it is very good mm. And I just I just want to speak that about your beautiful son. Behold, he is very
0: good. Praise God. And, and
1: it... whatever way that can just comfort your hearts as you go through this time, behold, he is very good.
0: I want to comment on one thing she said. Uh, she described the diagnosis that he has a condition incompatible with life and I want to come back to the eternal perspective. It may well indeed be incompatible with temporal life, but your child in his condition is not incompatible with eternal life, and whatever that wound is, whatever that defect is, that very wound will shine with a glory for all eternity that we can't even begin to fathom here and now. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, what God is ready for those who love him. One thing we do know about the resurrected Christ is he still has his wounds from the passion, but his wounds shine with glory. Your spiritual and emotional wounds, Julia, and your husband's, they will shine with glory, and whatever physical wound or defect your child is suffering from, that will shine with glory forever in the resurrection of the body. Thanks be to God. We trust in your promises, Lord. We trust in your promises. We treasure them. May they inform the way we live our day-to-day lives. Amen.
1: Our next question is from Lindsay. I saw your video about wives submitting to their husbands.
0: Oh, YouTube video.
1: To be submissive to his mission.
0: Yes, put yourself under the mission of your husband is how I put it, sub- Mission-wise, put yourself under the mission of the husband. What's the mission of the husband? To love the wife as Christ loved the church. So just to clarify.
1: She says, what if your husband is not Catholic? I don't want to give up my faith for his mission. Please tell me I don't have to give up the fullness of my faith.
0: No, you do not, Lindsay. Absolutely do not. You, Your call of fidelity is first and foremost to the Lord, And so your first commitment is to Jesus Christ, the bridegroom from heaven. Uh, If your your husband would be asking you to do anything contrary to your faith—I assume that's what we're getting at here—if your husband would be asking you to do anything contrary to your faith, your call to fidelity to Christ supersedes and precedes any call to put yourself, quote, under the mission of your husband. If your husband is leading you astray in a misguided mission, you are not obligated to put yourself under that mission in any way, shape, or form. And I just want to clarify here that, you know, Ephesians 5, uh, that line, wives submit to your husbands, which just so often causes the hair on the back of ladies' necks to stand up, and understandably, if we're interpreting that in light of male tyranny, right, But what is this modeled after? The very first thing St. Paul says to spouses, he says, husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean, reverence for Christ? John Paul II tells us that reverence for Christ is nothing other than a spiritually mature form of the mutual attraction of the sexes. Mm. Right. What we're called to here, I am called to be so attracted to your mystery, Wendy. Mm -hmm. The mystery you reveal as a woman is is the mystery that we call the church, the bride, the temple, the dwelling place of the Lord. The theology of a woman's body is precisely the theology of the temple, the dwelling place of the Lord. And it's not just poetry. If Christmas is real, really and truly, woman's body became the dwelling place of the Most High God. Every woman shares in that dignity. A spiritually mature form of of sexual attraction for me as your husband is to recognize that mystery revealed through your body. And then the theology of my body as a man is that of priesthood. What does the priest do? The priest enters the Holy of Holies to make the ultimate sacrifice of praise. (laughs) That's that's what St. Paul means when he says the one flesh union is a great mystery. The Greek, Mm. which I love, is mega-mystery. The one flesh union is a mega-mystery, and it refers to Christ and the Church. It's not just poetry. It's not just some kind of ethereal idea. No, really and truly, the marital embrace reveals, proclaims, and enables husband and wife to participate in that mega-mystery of Christ's love for the church what did Christ do in loving the church? He entered the mystery of the church to save the church, to save the bride, to save the bride from what? The en the en excuse me, the enemy's enmity. That's a tongue twister. The enemy's enmity from the beginning has been aimed at the church, aimed at woman, aimed at the temple, aimed at the mystery that is embodied by woman. And the true bridegroom, the true mission of the true bridegroom is to lay down his life for the bride, to take the hit for the bride. Adam faulted at his post, but the new Adam did not fault at his post. He took the hit for the bride, saved the bride. And it's in this context that St. Paul says, wives, put yourself under the mission of your husband. What's the mission of the husband? It's right in the next line. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Back to her question, no, Lindsay, you are not obligated to put yourself under a misguided mission. Hmm. Um, You are called to show your husband all due respect and reverence for his humanity, et cetera, et cetera, Uh, and a wide margin because we're all broken here, right? Uh, There's no husband. No husband on the planet lives this out perfectly. No wife on the planet lives out Ephesians 5 perfectly right? So wide margins, and by that I mean be generous in showing mercy. The number one ingredient of a successful marriage, as I often say, is mercy. Uh, but that said, your first obligation is to Christ and your faith and fidelity to that. Wendy, any additional thoughts? Yeah, I just think, Lindsay,
1: you're giving us a little window into um, you know, the perspective of hearing this message about place yourself under the mission of your husband, how it sounds to you in the experience of not really trusting your husband has the right mission, um, or that maybe feeling that he doesn't fully share your faith or um, honor your faith in Jesus. So that's a challenging situation that you're in, but I really want to invite you to let your faith more deeply inform your loving of your husband
0: That's
1: a good one, Wendy. so there it's just a sense i get i don't know you and i may be wrong about feeling this from your question but a, a certain feeling of of separation um between you and your husband because he doesn't share your faith um and that is a separation i understand that but maybe just a need to take more deeply into your heart that our faith teaches that every human being is made in the image and likeness of God and that we are called to fulfill the purpose of our creation by living out that image. And you, as your husband's spouse, have a particular honor to recognize God's image in him because you know him more deeply than anyone else. And in whatever way you can affirm and call forth that purpose God had in making your husband, recognizing the gifts and the ways that he, maybe even without realizing it, is cooperating with the grace that is present in his life. And either it's silent prayer or it's verbal affirmation or it's the honoring way that you treat him, but you have a role in bringing him closer to what God meant for him in his life. And so I just, I don't know if I'm articulating that very well, but just a sense of wanting you to not be afraid that the church is teaching something that means you have to, I don't know, submit to something wrong because he's your husband, but rather seeing the church sees you as through your reception of sacraments through your life of grace as having a beautiful role in your husband's life. And I, I hope I'm, I don't know, making that clear.
0: I think you, I think you are, Wendy, and the, the spirit of what you're saying is seems very clear that uh, this call is not contrary to our truth, the truth of what it means to be human and the truth of our dignity as human beings. Whenever we would take a scripture, Um, to to mean I'm somehow supposed to compromise my own dignity or compromise what is true. Uh, Obviously, something's out of context, and that's one of the first essential principles of biblical interpretation is read it in context. And I always point out when I talk about Ephesians 5 that just prior to Ephesians 5 is Ephesians 4, and in there, Paul says we must no longer think as the Gentiles do. They're corrupt in their understanding due to their hardness of heart, and, and the corruption of, of lust. And here St. Paul is, is just repeating what Jesus said, that hardness of heart and lust corrupts the male-female relationship. Then St. Paul says, put on the new mind created after the original likeness of God. Again, St. Paul is calling us, just as Christ did, back to the original likeness of God. When Jesus says, in his discussion about marriage with the Pharisees, He points us back to the beginning. That's the norm. That's the call. That's what marriage is meant to be. We're broken. We're fallen, but there is grace in Jesus Christ to to restore that original call. In no way, shape, or form is St. Paul, when he says to submit out of reverence for Christ or wives submit to their husbands, he's not saying submit to anything that is contrary to your dignity. He is not saying the husband. Uh, somehow has some right of domination. No, no, no. Male domination is the result of original sin, right? It's right there in the book of Genesis. After original sin says, your desire will be for your husband and he will dominate you. This is not part of God's original plan. This is the distortion of of the original plan, and St. Paul is calling us to the restoration of that original plan in Jesus Christ. Getting there— especially with an unbelieving spouse, is a difficult road, but even there, and I think this is part of your point, Wendy, there is grace at work even in hidden ways, and we can and should trust in that.
1: Mm. Amen.
0: Amen, indeed. If you know someone who would benefit from hearing today's episode, can I invite you to click that share icon and help us get this podcast out to an even wider audience? We'd be very grateful for you to partner with us in helping us spread the good word Uh, we always enjoy doing this we look forward to being with you on our next episode may you know it deep in your bones that you you really and truly you are an indispensable irreplaceable unrepeatable gift of life and love
1: become what you are
0: is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.